Hey, welcome to The Revolutionized Mind, a platform about all things mental health. I'm your host, Angelica Galuzzo, and on this show, we use real stories and eye-opening conversations to make you feel less alone and a little more optimistic about what's ahead of you. Come on a journey with me. Bring your most authentic self, and let's revolutionize the mind. Reforming society, repairing your mentality, restoring your life. This is The Revolutionized Mind. Hello, everybody. I hope you're having an amazing start to your day. I want to keep this episode short so it's nice and digestible. I think our guest does an amazing job of just explaining all things self-esteem. Dr. Maria is absolutely incredible, and she's such a relatable therapist that works with a lot of youth. She is very active on social media, on Instagram and TikTok, so I highly suggest checking her out. And I just love the way she prioritizes the psychoeducation piece of approaching her work. So in this case, self-esteem is the focus. So what does that really mean? How can we break it down? How can we really apply that to our own lives in a way that makes sense, in a way that we can address it ourselves in a positive way? And slowly start to minimize those external influences and really focus on the way that we see ourselves, which is what it boils down to. So she definitely gives a lot of insight. I am taking away so many little messages from this conversation, and I really hope that you can take some things away too. As always, thank you so, so much for spending time with me and this community by choosing to click play on this episode. I hope it's valuable and can serve as a good resource for people. Enjoy. So today I'm here with Dr. Mary Lisa Moria, who is a very relatable psychologist who's active on social media on TikTok and Instagram, and she posts a lot of helpful tips and suggestions and information. So I'm really excited to finally get a chance to sit down and talk to her today. How are you doing? Hi, Angelica. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to do this. Of course. Do you want to just start off by telling us, I guess, a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. So um, as you said, I'm a clinical psychologist. I actually work out of Toronto, Ontario. Um, I did my undergrad at the University of Toronto, but then actually got my graduate degree in Chicago and uh, worked my way back home and worked at a hospital for about 10 years at the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Clinic, was the lead psychologist there. And when COVID hit, kind of decided to make the shift and opened my own practice and started the social media platforms. And here we are today. Nice. How has that like little switch been for you? I'm sure it's a very different approach. It is. It, it definitely is. I think there's a lot of comfort and security when you work um, either at a mental health setting or in a clinic or at the hospital. There's a lot of security. There's a lot. There's a whole team there. And, you know, going off on your own, you, you know, you have to kind of create that for yourself and, you know, be okay to kind of take a risk to see where that's going to go. So what started as just me has now morphed into nine therapists under me, which is pretty um, amazing and incredible, unfortunately, also a sign of the times. Um, so it doesn't really feel so lonely. It doesn't feel so isolating, which was one of the fears that I was having in terms of um, transferring to private practice. But it's it's been incredible and, and honestly haven't even looked back. And it, it's it's been such a blessing. 
That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. And it's kind of related to today's topic as well, which is all about self-esteem. So obviously making that major life transition, you have to be kind of motivated internally and feeling confident in your own abilities to do that. So do you want to just tell us like what self-esteem actually is? Because I think we throw it around and nobody really takes time to understand what it is and why you think so many people actually struggle with it. Yeah. So, you know, I, um, a lot of times with the clients that I work with, they'll say they're coming in to talk about their self-esteem. And the first question I'll ask them is, why do you feel like you're struggling with your self-esteem? 99% of the time, it's, I don't like the way I look. I don't like my appearance or it's related to, you know, if I work with the teen, sometimes it's related to their peers, their social circle. So, you know, I think everybody's inclination when we think about self-esteem is the impression that others have of us, or if we feel like we can't offer anything to other people, or if we feel like we are it's a comparison and we feel like we cannot um, meet expectations of like what other people want us to have or what we feel like how we need to be when in reality self-esteem is made up of so many components and yes for sure our appearance is one of them and our social circle is one of them as well but when we really kind of break it down our self-esteem is built on so many levels so for instance it could be built on intrinsic factors, which are internal factors or external or extrinsic factors. And the reason why that's so important, and I see this oftentimes with my teens, is if they do really, really well academically, sometimes they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, I had an easy teacher or um, that went really well because I I was put in a good group. So we see that when they build their self-esteem related to their achievements, it's always because of external factors. So what happens when they are placed in a situation where they feel like those external factors are not in place, their self-esteem plummets. Um, We also see the opposite, right? So we will see, well, okay, I did terribly on that test. And rather than saying, well, it was a really challenging test or I didn't do well on that test because, you know, maybe it was just a hard test. It's I didn't study enough. I didn't do well enough um, because I'm not smart enough. And then it turns into, well, now because I didn't do well in math, I'm not going to do well in science. I'm not going to do well in English. And it like, I'm, I'm not going to do well in life. And it kind of snowballs really quickly. So what we see oftentimes with people with lower self-esteem is luck or opportunities happen as a result of external factors and any gains they see as external factors and oftentimes any pitfalls or any failures as they would see them or areas for growth as I like to call them they would see as internally based so when we struggle with our self-esteem a lot of times it's because we're not giving ourselves the credit that we should or we're dismissing the credit that we should be giving ourselves or we are struggling to take accountability for certain things that we should be taking accountability Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you, I guess, lay it out from those two different factors, because so many people struggle with that self-talk. And when things go wrong, they put it all on themselves, or they're looking for something else to blame. And the academic side is definitely something I think a lot of people can relate to. Um, But just really taking a second to think, like, why am I feeling this way? What is it about maybe this test or this situation that is making me feel like I'm not worthy enough or good enough to do better the next time? Um, so going along with that, there was a pyramid that I saw of self-esteem on your Instagram page. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Cause I think it'll help define this a little more. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I mean, there's so many definitions of self-esteem out there and I guess the traditional definition essentially is like how we feel about ourselves. So I broke that down into three categories and we can call it a pyramid or you know, in my book, I actually put it together as a puzzle as opposed to a pyramid on social media. Anybody who's watching this would see it more as a pyramid. But I look at it as three factors. So the three factors that I identify as really strong components in our self-esteem are self-worth, 
our self-efficacy, and our self-agency. So our self-worth is basically how worthy do I feel of the positive that comes into my life? Or do I have such low self-worth, meaning like I don't feel deserving of things and that's why negative things happen in my life. So how we kind of internalize the worth that we hold is going to impact our self-esteem. And I see this so much with the clients that I work with in the relationships that they get into, whether that is friendships, whether that is romantic relationships, whether that's familial relationships. But I oftentimes will say to my clients, like, do you notice that you will always value what another person's opinion is of you before you value your own? So you may have this belief about yourself, but another person's value of you, you will take as more important because you don't determine what you are feeling as worthy as what another person is saying, because you look at them and you feel like they're higher or above you. So that oftentimes will happen when we're struggling with our self-esteem. So the second thing that I like to talk about is our efficacy. So how effective do we actually feel we are in society? So do I feel like I have a role? Do I feel like I have a place? So this comes up a lot socially, right? Especially with the teens that I work with, where if they feel like they are struggling to fit in, or if they feel like, I don't know, like I, I just, I'm, I'm not sure people like me all of a sudden we don't feel like we're effective. So we could see this in school or we could see this at our job or we could see this in various uh, relationships that we have in life as well. If I don't feel confident in the task, in the responsibility, in the relationship, in the role of what I'm doing right now, all of a sudden I don't feel good about myself. So we undermine or undervalue how much we bring to the table is the best way to kind of think about that one. The third one essentially is our agency. And what I mean by like our self-agency is how much say do you feel like you have in the decisions you make in your life? Now, this could be like overt, meaning like people are telling you this is what you're going to do and you feel like I don't have a say. Like if I have to go to school, I don't have a say in that I have to go to school. I have to go to work. I have to do my job. I guess I have a say of what job I could do, but if I feel like I'm stuck in my job, there's certain parameters that you're kind of living by. So that can be overt and you could feel paralyzed or stuck because you don't have a say. But oftentimes that's actually not what's impacting people's self-esteem as much as the covert feeling that you have no agency in your life. Meaning I'm making my decisions for the greater good. So to make my family proud, to make my partner proud, um, because my boss expects me to do it this way, because teachers have this reputation of me, I have a reputation in a group. So a lot of times it's not necessarily like overtly placed on us. It's more so the guilt that we feel or this pressure that we feel. And that pressure could be self-imposed. I think people think this way, therefore I may act that way. Or it actually could be other imposed where people are saying to us, this is how things need to be done. And if you don't do it this way, I'm going to be disappointed. So they're not saying it, you know, they're not pressuring you to the point where they're like, well, you know, oftentimes like you'll hear, well, you can do it that way, but mm, I'm not sure you're going to be successful. So you really feel like, well, if I don't do that, then I'm disappointing all these people or these people are angry at me. And the important thing to consider about all three of these aspects is really this. You can feel like, I have a strong sense of agency. I have like, I'm a strong convicted person. I feel like I can make decisions in my life. I feel like I have a say in my life. However, I don't feel good about my decisions or I don't feel like I am able to own that or I don't feel worthy of the, of the good or whatever that comes to me. So the reason why I started it as a hierarchy and shifted it to a puzzle piece is because sometimes these things will have bigger weighted values and Because we have bigger weighted values on certain things, even if we're strong on two components, if that one component feels really weak to us, 
it actually could shatter our self-esteem. I love that. I thank you for explaining all of that in such detail. Um, why do you think that so many of us struggle with that though? Like what you said there at the end, like whether that's self-imposed or whether that's actually coming from external factors, because I know like when I grew up, I was always told, be careful how you act around other people. People are always judging you. People are always watching what you say, what you look like. So I think that like causes some of that internal lack of self-esteem because you're constantly like, oh no, people are judging me. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? That's a very broad question. (laughs) No, it's not actually. And I feel like actually you nailed, like you nailed that because I'm reflecting on my own childhood, as you say that. And like, I was the smart kid in the family. So like my parents would be like a 99 and jokingly, right? Like a 99, (laughs) why didn't you get a hundred? Whereas my brother was kind of like the soccer star and they'd be like, you only got three goals. Right. So it's like, in my mind, I was like, Oh, whether they were joking or not, the expectation is I have to be the smart kid in the family. I have to be the perfect kid in the family. And not that they were like intentionally putting that pressure and they were like joking about it, but I internalized it that way. So I'm a little bit older than you. So we didn't have social media. We didn't have the internet. Like I grew up in a society where it was like, there were your friends and like, you had to call in a landline if you wanted to talk to your friends. (laughs) And there were like your parents or like your relatives, right? So the pressure that I got growing up is like a fraction of the pressure that you grew up with and what we're seeing with kids today. So the reality is it's because everybody is so bombarded with the top 1% of everybody's life of what they see. And you can see if you're excluded. If I wasn't invited to a party growing up, I wouldn't have known until I got to school on Monday and people were talking about it. It is instant these days. So something that maybe I had a weekend to process or like it was old news by the time we went to school or even if I was being bullied by the time maybe I got to school on Monday, maybe that like situation or scenario had settled. It doesn't stop. It's nonstop. So you, we are now living in the society where it's, we have those internal pressures. We may have familial pressures, whether that's, you know, intentional or not. But now we have this huge societal pressure because we have little minds that are still growing and are still developing and can't make sense of well, that is filtered or like that is the top 1% of that person's life or like that's a one in a billion person. That's not a person that like is a regular person, right? So at the end of the day, it's almost impossible and we're fighting this uphill battle because we're dealing with pressures that we can't keep up with. Yeah, I love that you said that because it is on like young impressionable minds who are not even fully capable, developed, mature enough to comprehend what's going on with themselves, let alone other people. And with this constant information while you're scrolling social media, while you're watching TV, like while the media, I think, is getting a little bit better at different things and addressing these issues, I think it's still so much information that we've never had before. So I think youth mental health, that's why like this is just such a big topic these days, because we're seeing so many of these issues like self-esteem negatively impacts not just their mental health, but it leaks out into everything else, academic performance, social relationships, and you can go on and on. Yeah. And this, like as a parent myself, it hits me hard because I have a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old and they start using this language and these words, like they use words like sus. And I'm like, do you know what that means? (laughs) But I'm like, so if you're like eight and nine and you're doing this and like, I I work with so many teens, I work with tweens and they come to me and it's like, like you said, they're so impressionable. And it's like, I'm one person against like the world. So Mm -hmm. I do my best with their parents to guide them, to help you know, promote healthy self-esteem, healthy self-worth to get, you know, the children, the teens to really understand, you know, how can we help you feel good in your own skin, regardless of what's going on around you. But it really is an uphill battle. So it's a, it's a fight that I'm just going to keep fighting because I feel like it is so worthy. And I, 
I, as an old person, am able to see how you can come out at the other end. But when you don't have that perspective, it is very hard to see that like there is a rainbow at the end of this. Yeah. And going along with that, like, what do you normally offer your clients or advice based on like what you can actually practically do to build your own self-esteem? So I really try to help focus on and zone in what what of those areas is a little bit tipped, right? So where where is our scale off balance? And then I start there and then I start to help them understand. I give a lot of psychoeducation. So what that essentially means for anybody who isn't aware of what psychoed means is I give them a lot of knowledge. What is the definition of self-esteem? How does it impact us? Where where do we stumble? So like if we have had trauma in our history, if we have mental illness in our family or in ourselves, if we have experienced bullying, if we struggle academically, if we struggle socially, that is all going to impact our self-esteem. So I often will explain to them from the beginning to the end, why, why are we struggling? And then we look at what goals can we set? And we want to make sure those are realistic goals. Because if I set these goals and they're not realistic, I'm actually damaging their self-esteem more. So it's a it's a kind of give and take a little bit week to week to make sure that we are helping them build confidence. Because at the end of the day, if I can build your confidence, if I can help you feel proud of the little accomplishments, it's going to give you that motivation to do those bigger steps. We cannot take those giant leaps. We just cannot do it because either you do that too much and then we feel like we fail because it's not sustainable. And I guess the best comparison is like, wanting to lose weight and starving yourself and feeling like, oh, I lost all this weight right away. But the second you start eating again, all of a sudden you gain a lot of this weight back or you gain all of the weight back and you get defeated and we're back to square one. And I look at recovery and healing as the same way. I don't want you to take giant leaps. I actually want those baby steps because when we do the baby steps, actually that's what's going to stick. So helping them understand where their thinking traps are, helping them understand why are they comparing, helping them understand why it is natural to compare but why we need to compare ourselves to ourselves, not ourselves to other people. So really helping to focus on building and growing what is best for them, not what is best in comparison to other people. Yeah. And just while you were talking, I had another thought. Obviously, you've had to evolve with your practice and with social media. So do you ever like have to specifically target specific social media actions? Like, do you tell some people to maybe take a break or advise them to maybe unfollow certain people? Like, how do you even go about that as a therapist? Yeah. So are you talking like in my own practice? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel like I work with a lot of teenage girls and a lot of times that is it. Like that's their go-to and they'll follow accounts. And sometimes I'll say to them, show me some of these accounts that you're following. Why do you follow that account? Explain to me why you're doing that. Why do you follow that account? Explain to me why you're doing that. Then I'll do this. What are the pros of following this person? What are the cons? And if the cons are outweighing by far, the actually, if there's any cons at all that are damaging, we, we shouldn't be following this person anyway. But if we are doing a pros and cons list and there are a lot more cons than there are pros, I really get them to, like, I really challenge them to say, why are we doing this? Because actually you're creating an obstacle for yourself that doesn't need to be there because it's almost like, and I'm a mom, right? So like I have my mom friends. So it's almost like when, when you're going to go on vacation, you're like, I'm going to buy this bikini and I'm going to put this bikini in, in my, in my drawer. And in an effort, I'm going to say, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds before I go on my vacation. And I always will say to anybody or like my friends, myself, even do not buy the bikini that you want to end up in buy the bikini that fits your body now because if it doesn't fit you and it's too big you're likely going to feel good about yourself but if you try to fit yourself into a bikini that doesn't fit because you were hoping to lose those 10 pounds 
you're actually going to start feeling worse. And I say the same thing to the kids that I work with, not about the bikini. <laughs> I, I use that as an analogy, but I will say to the kids that I work with, we got to work with what we're dealing with now, because if your goal is I follow that page because I aspire to be like that person, it actually is going to make you feel worse about yourself. Because if we're not meeting our goals as quick as we would hope to, then it puts all of the self-doubt in our mind. And then that's where we start to self-sabotage. I love that you said that. And to me, like it relates back to the self-agency you were talking about at the beginning, because I always say like you are, you can curate your own social media feed based on how you want to feel, what you want your social media experience to look like. If you want to follow body positive accounts to make you feel better, do that. But if you're following all these fitness influencers, they might negatively impact you based on where you're at in your journey. So it's really just asking yourself those questions, like you said, going through the pros and cons and really just tapping into how you feel while engaging in, for this case, social media or whatever situation you're in. Just, I think, really being aware of those inner feelings as you go through life. Yep. Beautifully said. (laughs) Um, So like wrapping up, I know you're busy and you need to go. Um, I just, I want to help promote your Get It Together book series because I think it's awesome. I got a copy of it and I've worked through it so far I think the pages are just really fun and awesome so can you tell us more about that series of what inspired you to create something like it and what you hope for it to actually achieve thank you yeah so I started with a get it together um, self-esteem workbook and the reason that I started to do this was working actually work with a lot of females I work with a lot of women and I I was like, I need to do something about like empowerment. And it's not actually geared just to women, but you know, for me, it came down to, I can serve as many people as I can serve in my practice. And it's humbling to be able to do that, but I would love to be able to reach such a wide audience um, and be able to offer them something that is affordable if therapy is not an option at this time. So I really created this workbook as an extension of If you're not ready for therapy or you aren't able to attend therapy, but you really want to kind of work on your self-esteem, then let's do that. So I created this workbook with that intention. What ended up happening after that were when I started to like get my friends to proofread or an editor, they were like, you need an adjunct to this. So we created a journal. I created journals for adults, for teen tweens, and then for kids. And I did this as you could use it as a supplement to the self-esteem workbook or on its own. It doesn't even need to be in association with the workbook whatsoever. And the beautiful part about the children's workbook is my two girls did it with me. So it is literally written by these two little people um, with a forward letter that they wrote and an ending letter that they wrote. And they picked out all the pictures and they're so proud of this because they feel like they also get to help and support little kids that are either struggling or just need some guidance too. So What started off as like a little, it'll be like a little 10 page workbook just ended up kind of exploding into like a four book series that my team and I are just like super proud of and really excited about and hoping to, you know, to get it out there to people so that we can help as many people as we can. That makes my heart so happy. I'm so glad that they helped you with it because it just makes it more personal and relatable. And that's awesome. Congratulations to you on your success. And I think Maddie and Patricia helped you with it as well, who have also both been on this podcast. So I'm happy to have all of you on. Um, But yeah, personally, I have never really been a big journaler. But when I was going through the one that you guys sent me, like I was just drawn to how approachable it was like the the pages the way that the questions were formatted so I have been using it and I love it um 
And do you want to just take a second to tell everybody, I guess, where they can find the book, how they can get connected with you on all your socials? Yeah. So I am Dr. Dot Morea, so Dr. Morea on Instagram and on TikTok. We also have an Etsy store, but there's a link in my bio on both of my social medias, or you can find us at monarchtherapy.ca um, and everything will be linked there. So anybody in Canada can easily link to those pages and anybody in the US, if you actually just go onto Amazon and Google my name, Dr. Morea, all of my workbooks will pop up. Perfect. And I'll definitely add the links in the episode notes so anybody can follow up. But I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come talk with me. And I just think what you're doing is awesome and you're helping so many people out there. So thank you so much. Thanks, Angelica. Thanks for having me. I've been following Dr. Maria on social media for a while now, and I highly suggest you do the same. I think the way that she approaches it is just so real, and she builds that connection in a way that's also helpful coming from a psychologist. She answers a lot of questions, particularly on her TikTok, and gives a lot of great advice on addressing mental health struggles, how to turn some of these not-so-great emotions into a positive, but not just by avoiding them, by understanding them, by building up your toolkit, and all these other great suggestions. So I highly, highly, highly advise you to check her out on socials. And once again, I just want to highlight the Get It Together journal series. I was sent a copy, and as you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, I am not a big journaler. I just cannot get into it. But I've actually sincerely been using this one. I have an e-copy of it. So I think maybe that's why I've had a little bit of an easier time adjusting to it. But I'm not lying when I say the pages are so approachable. The questions are just formatted. I feel like it's meant for someone like me. I don't know. I don't know if that's cheesy, but just the way it's designed, I feel like it's actually really helping me and I love working through it. I haven't been doing it daily. Maybe I can start that goal, but now and then I've been popping on here and answering some journal prompts and I find it very, very helpful. So definitely check out the links in the episode notes if you want to learn more about this series and to also support three amazing people that have been on this podcast, Dr. Morea, Maddie, and Patricia. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Revolutionized Mind. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and I'll be back with another episode next Friday.